Dead Bodies is not for the squeamish and is intended for mature audiences. Chanel is one of those people mm-hmm. who you could just give them anything and they would say, yes, please. Mm-hmm. Is there Because I just, uh, I love pastrami with mayonnaise. It's a pretty plain sandwich as sandwiches go. But it's delicious. Yep. We're going to have, we've got cape seed loaf, so we're going to have yeah. puppy seeds in our in our teeth. Mm-hmm. There's one on your lip now. Got it? Great. Um, you're just easy. Is there anything you don't eat? You're not one of those people that go, oh, I don't like cold meat and I don't no, like. No, I eat anything. Good. And for example, last night, Nico was having a, you know, a big thing because we're one week out of, we're the first weekend out of lockdowns. St- we still got restrictions, but that you can go to a restaurant. We'd already been out for breakfast. Please do. We'd already been out for breakfast and then he wanted to go out for dinner. And I was like, this is a fucking lot, like honestly. And it's raining and it's freezing outside. And he could not decide. I said, well, you're the one that wants something different. So you decide because I could honestly just have some toast with goat's cheese on it and live my best life. That would be – I would be so happy with that for dinner. Yes. I'm so happy with the toast dinner. Right? Same. Yeah. In fact, I'm almost relieved sometimes. And, yeah, I'm like you. I can only do one – I keep spitting food everywhere. What's going on? I can only – I don't know. I've lost control of my mouth. Um, I can only do one, me, you know, special meal a day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not going out for multiple unless I'm on holiday. Yeah, plain breakfast, semi-plain lunch, big fancy dinner. We'd already been up the freeway for breakfast. I'm not going up the freeway again for dinner. If you've done – exactly. No, I wouldn't have thought so. Mm. Um, What banter have we got? I've got a little bit of banter for you. What you got? Have you been watching Mm -hmm. Mayor of Easttown? Yes. Have you finished finished it? No, not yet. What are you up to? What are you up to? I'm almost towards the end. Okay. I reckon I've got one episode left, but I've also been watching New Amsterdam, where miracles happen every day. No, what is that? I have New to Amsterdam. Write it down. Don't know what it is. It's like the modern ER. Oh, oh I'm not writing that down. Well, fucking write it down. You no. crossed it out. Why would I watch that? <laughs> oh my god, she wrote new and then she crossed it's it right out. Now. I was thinking it might be some theatre thing. Cause there's a New Amsterdam theatre. I love in New, new York. Am- yeah, no. well, it's based in New York. Oh, now you're back on. Well, no, yeah, no, I'm not. The main no. guy's hot. What about now? I'll watch, no, don't care. I'll watch oh. anything that's based in New York, but sometimes it tricks you. So I watched The Lady in the Window with, is it Amy Adams? Oh, what's her name? Let's I go back her. to Mayor of Easttown. Yes. yes. Um, uh, one episode, I think I've got one episode left, but I need to go back and rewatch episodes because yeah. I was distracted and falling asleep. Oh, no. Oh, yeah, watch it and pay attention. Yeah, that, might, it, that was my issue. You could watch it just to watch Kate Winslet eat. It is so good. The <laughs> food she ate. Yes, because she's like getting Cheetos and putting mayonnaise on them. And doing, yeah, okay. You know, like just, it's, it's like it's real middle, middle America, right? Yes, yeah. and it's so wonderful. There's, at one point she sprains her ankle and she pulls a packet of frozen chips out of the freezer and puts them on her ankle. Yeah. And I went, that's that's the chips we had for dinner last night. Like, yeah. That's so, it's so relatable. relatable. I love it. And I just love that whole grungy middle america stuff um so mayor of Town, tick done that um and there is a podcast that i have been listening to oh mm. you don't like it when i mention other podcasts i've been listening to f1 podcasts because i'm all fucked up on grand prix at the moment 
Okay. Yeah. That's all right. I don't mind yeah. that. I like the Grand Prix. Yeah. You know, I drove in it. What? I did. In a racing car. What? I can show you me in a racing car. A Formula suit. One car or a racing car? No. Um, it was – they were Nissan Xs back in the day. Oh. But I did that, like, celebrity race thing that yeah. they have years ago. And what people don't realise is when you do that, people think, oh, we'll just stick a bunch of celebrities out there and they go around. they around really and make you no, terrified, don't they? You have to actually do six weeks training and what? qualify for your Confederation of Australian Motorsport licence. What? So I had a CAMS licence. It's full on. It's really full on. And I trained with Mark Scaife and – Jim Richards out at Sandown, and it was the best fun. Wow. Best fun. Loved it. Um, so the podcast I'm listening to is, I get its name wrong, it's about a girl called Snaya yeah. who goes missing on the day or possibly the night before 9-11. And oh. her apartment was only a few hundred metres from 9-11. So what is it called? If you like a... a yeah, good question. I'm just trying to find it. Um, if you like podcasts with a conclusion, well, don't start listening. It's just called Missing on 9-11. Missing on 9-11? Yeah, okay, but on. it hasn't concluded yet, so it's still sort of midway oh, through. Got so you. if you want to wait until it's all – because I don't know if they're going to find out in the end. But it's it's quite interesting. She, she disappeared. Oh. They've got her on, and I love anything in America, and she's <laughs> – in she, one of the things they're checking the CCTV, she'd gone shopping at Century 21, which I've yeah, been to. Yeah, I've been there. Yes, and I'm like – he says that the guy doing the podcast said, oh, and then she was, um, uh, she apparently bought some shoes. And I'm like yelling at the podcast going, it's not in the building. It's the next <laughs> building. You have to go out the doors and around down Cortland Street. Like it's like in my head. See? I know it and memorize it. And they talk about the laundry. I'm going, it's upstairs. So um, they don't know at this stage whether she was shopping in the base of the World Trade Center right. or whether somehow she's disappeared or whether okay. she's just one of the dead from 9-11 and her family can't accept it or what? what is happening? Is Nico all right? He's trying to diagnose his diarrhea right okay. now. If I have to be as honest Tell as I always am with this pod. Go to the chemist and get something like, for it. This is the, the crux of our conversation at the moment. What He knows I'm potting and he's like, I'm feeling okay. I think I'm empty. And I'm like, oh no, what do you think it was? And he's like... To be honest, I remember everything I ate, breakfast, sausage roll, and a burger. That's all I had yesterday. And I said, I'm going to vote the sausage roll. He's like, I go burger. Well, he goes, hmm, you mm. think? And I said, it's the most suspect food. Mm-mm. He said, probably right. The bacon tasted a little strange in the burger. That's what I was thinking. And mm-hmm. I said, but I had bacon in mine. He goes, hmm, that takes care of that then. This is the conversations <laughs> I'm having. Mm. And these conversations, can I say, are not just exclusive to my weekends. They, I could be interviewing the Premier or the Prime Minister, and this is the conversation that's happening. I'm sauce of the meat in the burger more than the sauce drop. He had chicken. Even more suspect, I guess. Ooh, oh, there it is. Chicken. Can, there it is. Yeah. It's a chicken. Tell him it's that. But I want to go back to that burger place. And if I say that to him, we'll never be able to go back to that burger place. Mm. So I may sway him. Oh, I see what you're doing. Yeah, you're <laughs> right. Pin it on the sausage roll. Yeah, I'm going yeah. to pin it on the sausage <laughs> roll, yeah. I reckon, because yeah. I really like the burger place. Yeah, do it. Even if it kills you, stay with that burger place. Yeah, yeah. that's what I think. <laughs> okay. Um, good. Okay. Kirst, are you ready for the audio bonanza? Oh, yes, I am. Yes, I am. I'm okay. so ready for this. I'm really lot. excited. So there's just there's a lot of audio in this story, and it's because you don't normally find this much audio. Why mm-hmm. well, I certainly haven't. Um, 
but when I get to that audio part, I'll explain okay. where we're going with it. All right. Okay. So this story is, and from the get-go, we're talking like, I know we normally warm up to it. It's about a killer. And it's, he's a killer. I just realized what you've done. What? This is so wonderful. Why? Well, there was a tin of tea, because uh, I just sort of vaguely pointed to where the tea bags were and said to Chanel, oh, they're in there. Yes. No, I You've got, actually found I, I got the, the good one. one. Yes. <laughs> I'm so happy you did that. They <laughs> weren't in an obvious place. No, I went through your cupboard and got the good one. Because no one else in this house has them except no. me. I'm so happy that yes, happened. Thank you're you. so welcome. Okay. Um, okay, so this story is about a killer called BTK. I'm not going to tell you what that stands for, but just keep the letters in your brain. BTK. I okay. have to – I can't like – What? What's, do I have poppy seed in my teeth? No. Yes, oh. you do. So do I. So okay. that's not that's okay, what okay. says. Um <laughs> I'll get you some. I'll get you a thing. Uh, no, I'm what? familiar with the BTK case, but I'm so excited for you to tell it to me. Okay. Do you want me to go? I'm going to go and get um, toothpicks. Get me a toothpick. But I haven't finished eating yet. Eat some more sandwich. Hang on, getting toothpicks. Oh, we've got a lot going on today. Jesus. Sorry. <laughs> and my teeth. I've I've got um Invisalign. Yep. And my teeth are just way. They're they're like a net. They catch everything mm. now. There's just so much movement going. They do. They're like a net. Like a web. Just catching Everything up. gets caught in them. Me before a live cross is a bad time, I'm telling you. I did a live cross the other day and I realised I had so much shit in my teeth afterwards. Lucky I was far away. Well, she back? Okay. Yeah, she's bought little picks to things. And a mirror. God, she's such a good host. But yeah. I can see in my computer screen. <clears throat> okay. That's Just better. beware of that magnifying mirror because once you start looking in it, like... Oh, terrifying. Okay. Big pimple on my cheek. BTK. Yes. All right. Excited. Remember it and then we move on from it. Okay. So Dennis Rader was born in 1945 in Pittsburgh, Kansas, and he grew up in Wichita. I was, thought I was going to have a real issue saying that. Growing up, his parents worked quite a bit. He felt slightly neglected and most of his anger was towards his mother. This led to his sexual sadistic fantasies of wanting to torture trapped and helpless women. I'm not sure how you get there that quickly between the two, hating your mother and then that turns into that, but that's what happened. Yeah. It doesn't make sense. Why? I mean, sometimes you can make sense of it. So hang on. Mm. I hate my mom and now I want to kill women. Hates his... That makes sense. Mm. Neither of us are psychologists, but... Mm. Okay. Okay. Uh, so he did what some killers do, which is he began to kill small animals from a young age. And people who knew Dennis would, they, they didn't think he was weird pretty much. They would consider him pretty normal and polite. Um, but as we know, most killers can be charming, mm. right? Same with pedophiles. People don't suspect them, and that's why they are able to operate for so long. Um, he went to high school. He was an average student. He ended up dropping out and working for um, a, in a supermarket. He eventually married a woman called Paula, and they had two children. In his adult years, he studied electronics and ended up working for a security alarm company. He was also a member of the uh, Christ Lutheran Church, and had been elected president of the church council. And he was also a Cub Scout leader. Just an all-round nice guy. Uh, in January, On January 15, 1974, he committed his first murders, strangling four family members, including two children, in their Wichita home. Hello. Hello. Do you think we'll get complaints about this because I'm eating? Probably. Um, how do you kill four people? Straight up. 
Joseph Oterio, age 39, Julia Oterio, age 33, Joseph Oterio Jr., aged 9, and Josephine Oterio, aged 11. But I'm I'm thinking logistically, how do you do it's it? It's a so lot. Maybe the kids are asleep in a, de- mm. a different room. Well, he... let me stop you there. Yeah. Oh, okay. You're going to tell me. So we have audio of him talking about every single murder. Oh, I hate it when they relive it. And how he did it. Okay. Okay. Right. So this is uh, Raider talking about that murder. Now, this does go for quite a, a while. It's about five, six minutes almost, I think. Um, and all of this audio was courtesy of KWCH12, the television channel. Um, and what's happening is he's in a courtroom and he's being asked to go through. They're talking about all the charges and he's being asked counts one to four. Can you explain what happened there? All right, Mr. Raider. I need to find out more information. On that particular day, the 15th day of January, 1974, can you tell me where you went to kill Mr. Joseph Otero? Mm, I think it's 1834. Uh, Edgemore. All right. Can you tell me approximately what time of day you went there? Uh, somewhere between 7 and 7.30. This particular location, did you know these people? No, that's, uh, no, that was part of my, uh, I guess my, what you call fantasy. These people were uh, selected. All right, so you, okay. okay, you were engaged in some kind of fantasy during this period of time? Uh, yes, sir. When you use the term fantasy, is this something you were doing for your personal pleasure? Uh, sexual fantasy, sir. I see. So you went to this residence, and what occurred then? Well, <clears throat> um, I had uh, did some thinking on what I was going to do to uh, either Mrs. Otero or Josephine, and. Uh, basically broke into the house or didn't break into the house but uh, when they came out of the house I came in and confronted the family and then we went from there. All right. Had you planned this beforehand? To some degree, yes. Uh, after I got in the house it, well, I lost control of it but it, it was, you know, in the back of my mind I had some ideas what I was going to do did but uh, I just, I basically panicked that first day so. Beforehand did you know who was there in the house? I thought Mrs. Otero and the two kids, the uh, two younger kids were in the house. I didn't realize Mr. Otero was going to be there. All right. How did you get into the house? I came through the back door, uh, cut the phone lines, uh, waited at the back door, had reservations about even going or just walking away, but pretty soon the door opened and I was in. All right. So the door opened, was it open for you or did something? I think one of the kids, I think the uh, ju- uh, junior or not junior, yes, the, uh, the young girl, uh, Joseph, opened the door. He probably let the dog out because the dog was in the house at that time. All right, when you went into the house, what happened then? Well, I confronted the family, uh, pulled a pistol, uh, confronted Mr. Otero, and asked him to, uh, you know, that I was there to basically, I was uh, wanted, uh, wanted to, uh, get the car. I was hungry, food, I was wanted, and asked him to lie down in the uh, living room. And uh, at that time I realized that wouldn't be a really good idea. So I finally 
the dog was a real problem, so I uh, asked Mr. Otero if he could get the dog out. So he had one of the kids put it out. And then I took him back to the bedroom. You took who back to the bedroom? Uh, the family, to the bedroom, the four members. All right, what happened then? At that time, I tied him up. While still holding him at gunpoint? Well, in between tying and yes. Yeah. All right, after you tied them up, what occurred? Well, uh, they started complaining about uh, being tied up, and I re-loosened re the bonds a couple of times. Uh, tried to make Mr. Otero as comfortable as I could. Uh, apparently he had a cracked rib from a car accident, so I had him put a pillow down for his head. Uh, had he put a, uh, I think he's a parker or a coat underneath him. Uh, they, uh, you know, they talked to me about uh, you know, giving the car and whatever money. I guess they didn't have very much money. And uh, the, uh, there I realized that, uh, you know, I was already, I didn't have a mask on or anything. They already could ID me and uh, uh, made, a, made a decision to go ahead and, and uh, put them down, I guess, or strangle them. All right. What did you do to Joseph Otero Sr.? Joseph Otero? Yeah, okay. Joseph Otero Sr., Mr. Otero, the father. I uh, put a plastic bag over his head and then some cords and tighten it. This was in the bedroom? Yes, sir. Did he, in fact, uh, suffocate and die as a result of this? Not right away. No, sir, he didn't. What happened? Uh, well, after that, I, uh, I did miss this Otero. Uh, I had never strangled anyone before, so I really didn't know how much pressure you had to put on a person or how long it would take. But was she also tied up there in the yes, bedroom? Yes, uh -huh. yeah, both her hands and their feet were tied up. She was on the bed. Where were the children? Uh, well, uh, Josephine was on the bed and uh, Junior was on the floor at this time. So we're, we're talking, first of all, about Joseph Otero. So you put the bag over his head and tied it. Mm -hmm. And he did not die right away. Can you tell me what happened in regards to Joseph? Uh, he moved over real quick, like, and I think tore a hole in the bag. And I could tell that he was having some problems there. But at that time, the the whole family just went, uh, they went panicked on me. So I, I worked pretty quick. I, I got what Mrs. did you, you worked pretty quick. Well, what I mean, I, 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 I strangled <coughs> Mrs. Otero. And she went out, or passed out. I thought she was dead. She passed out. And I strangled... Uh, Josephine, she passed out, or I thought she was dead, and uh, then I went over and uh, put a, uh, and then uh, put a bag on uh, uh, Junior's head, and uh, and then uh, if I remember right, uh, Mrs. Otero came back. Uh, she came back and. Uh, Sir, let me ask you about Joseph Otero Senior. Indicated he had torn a hole in the bag. Mm -hmm. and what did you do with him then? I put another bag over it, or either that or a. I recollect, I think I put a, uh, either a cloth, or a t-shirt, or something over it, over his head, and then a bag, another bag, did and then tied it down. Did he subsequently die? Well, yes. I mean, I, I mean, I was, I didn't just stay there and watch him. Then I was moved around the room, but. All right, so you indicated you strangled Mrs. Otero after you had done this, is that correct? Now I went back and strangled her again, right. and that, that finally killed her at that time.
Um, that's to me like he's saying, uh, I'm going to build a pergola in my back garden. Right. I'm going to put uh, corrugated sheeting on the top. Maybe use you know a two by me? four. Is the when the judge says, "Well, did he die then?" Do I have seeds in my teeth? Oh, right on my lip. Um, and he goes, "Well, I didn't stay and watch him." Amazing. Well, the thing that jumped out at me was, "Oh, I got a pillow to make him comfortable." Right. Just before he killed him. And then I made that decision then that like they they could ID me, so I was yeah, just going to kill them all. But then he says, "Put them to sleep." Mm. That phrasing he was really like interesting to me. He sounds like a weedy little button dick man too, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. Yeah. So that confession goes on for quite a while. He talks about how Josephine, who's the 11-year-old girl, he just he couldn't get her to die. I don't like much. him using their names. I know. Well, it gets worse. Um, so he took her to the basement and he hung her. Um, and then he ha- had some sexual fantasies. Um he then took the family's car, he dumped that, he walked back and got his car, um, and then he left. Just like that, just wiped out a whole family and then left. Not that I care what he thinks or feels about anything, but I, mm. I do wonder what is the feeling of, of well, I suppose specifically him or someone like him, mm-hmm. i just spat again, um, when they leave the scene, are they satisfied? Are they Full of disgusted adrenaline. with themselves? Yeah. Like, you know what it's like? It's like, for me... Yeah, for I think it's short-term uh, satisfaction. Yeah. Like, if you, if you, you know, gorged yeah. a whole thing of chocolate and you think, oh, I wish I hadn't done that. Oh, mm. I've done a bad thing, but oh, what the heck, you know. It, but from the get-go with Dennis Rader, like, he's a serial killer. Mm. So I think it's just short-term. And then the urge comes back. Hmm. So maybe he was satisfied by that enough that he goes to look for that satisfaction again. Mm. So maybe he it's gets a feeling, off on it, right? Does he feel like he's achieved something? Yeah. But I also just wonder. I suppose I'm just hoping, and this can't be real, that he has some sort of a conscience or a, a something in him oh, that would no, say, I "Oh, I feel horrible. I've done that." No, okay. I don't think he does. Okay. Um, so in April 1974, Raider targeted a 21-year-old woman. Uh, her name was Catherine Bright, and the audio is here. Uh, the, uh, I don't know how to exactly say that. I had many, what I called them projects. They were different people in the town that I followed, watched. Uh, Catherine Bright was one of the next targets, I guess, as I would indicate. How did you select her? Uh, just driving by one day, and I saw her go in the house with somebody else, and I thought that's a possibility. There was many, many places in the area. College Hill, they're all over Wichita. But anyway, that's it. Just was basically a selection process. Work toward it. If it didn't work, I just move on to something else. But in the in the, my kind of person, a stalking and scrolling, you go through the trolling stage and then a stalking stage. She was in the stalking stage when this happened. Um, all right, sir. So you identified Catherine Bright as a potential victim. Yes, sir. What did you do here in Sedgwick County then? Pardon? What did you do then here in Sedgwick County? Well, on this particular day, yes. uh, I broke into the house and waited for her to come home. How did you break into the house? Uh, through the back door on the east side. All right, and you waited for her to come home. Where yes, did sir. you wait? Uh, in the house there, probably close to the bedroom. I walked to the house and uh, kind of figured out where I'd be if they came through. Uh, All right. What happened then? Uh, she and uh, Kevin uh, Bright came in. I uh, wasn't expecting him to be there. Uh, 
and come find out, I guess, they were related. Uh, that time I uh, approached them and told them I was wanted in California, uh, needed some car, ba basically the same thing that I told the Turtles, uh, kind of ease them, make them feel better, and proceeded to, I think I had him tie, I think I had him tie her up first, and then I tied him up, or vice versa, I don't remember right now. At that now let, time. let me ask, you mm -hmm. indicated that you had some... Uh, items to tie these people with. Did you bring these items, both the Oteros and to this location? The Oteros I did. Uh, I'm not really sure on the Brights. Uh, there was some, I, when I had working with the police, there was some controversy on that. Probably more likely I did, but uh, if, if I had brought my stuff and used my stuff, uh, Kevin would probably be dead today. Right. I'm not bragging on that. It's just a matter of fact. It's the bonds I've uh, tied him up with that he broke them. So, and, that, uh, All right. and maybe same way with uh, same way with Catherine. It was I got out of got out of hand. All right. Now you indicated that you believe you had Kevin tie Catherine up. Mm -hmm. Tell me what happened then. Okay. I moved. Uh, well, after I really can't remember, Judge, whether I had her tie him up or she tied him up. But anyway, I moved. Uh, Basically, I moved her to another bedroom, and he was already secure there by the bed. Uh, tied his feet to the uh, bedpost, at the bottom of the bedpost, so he couldn't run. Uh, kind of tied her in the other bedroom, and then I came back to strangle him. And at that time, we had a fight. Were you armed with a handgun at that time also? Yes, I had a handgun. What happened when you I came back? I actually had two handguns. Uh, well, I started strangling the, either the... Uh, broke or he broke his bonds and he jumped up real quick like I pulled my gun and quickly shot him I hit him in the head he fell over uh, I could see the blood and as far as I concerned, you know I thought he was down and uh, was out and then went and uh, started to strangle uh, uh, Catherine, Catherine and uh, then we started fighting because uh, bonds were very good and so back and forth we fought you and Catherine? Yeah, we fought. Uh, and I got the best of her, and I thought she was going down, and then I could hear some movement in the other room. So I went back, and Kevin, uh, no, no, I thought she was going down, and I went back to the other bedroom where Kevin was at, and I tried to re-strangle him at that time, and he jumped up, and we fought, and, uh, and he about, at that time, about shot me because he got the other uh, pistol that was in my shoulder here. I had my magnum in my shoulder. So, and a really holster. Hmm? Did you have it in a shoulder holster? Yes, and I had the magnum in a shoulder holster. The other one was a 22. And we fought at that point in time, and uh, I thought it was going to go off. I jammed the gun, stuck my finger in, the, in there, jammed it. And uh, I think he thought that was the only gun I had because once I either bit his finger or hit him or something got away, and I used the 22 and shot him one more time. And I thought he was down for good at that time. All right, so you shot him a second time. Yes, sir. What happened then? Uh, went back to uh, uh, finish the job on Catherine, and uh, she was fighting. Uh, and at, at that point in time, I'd been fighting her, and I just, and then I heard some, I don't know whether I uh, was basically losing control. The uh, strangulation wasn't working on her, and I uh, used a knife on her. So just to give you a little bit of background quickly, he attacks her in her home. The brother is in the house at the same time, uh -huh. so I'll, and they go through all of that. Right. 
So Catherine's brother lived. Dennis said he heard the door open and he thought it was police, but it was actually Kevin running down the street escaping. So he he was panicked then. So he quickly cleaned up and he left. He said that um, that killing was a particular mess given the brother had lived. So he just took off to get his car, which was at a nearby school campus. Later that year, he wrote a letter detailing the January murders, um, which were, was the family. Um, and he wrote in that letter, he said, the code words for me will be bind them, torture them, kill them, BTK. Who's he writing the letter to? So he left the note in a book at the Wich- Wichita Public Library and just walked out. Just put it in there, walked out. So is that, that comes back to my question before. I wonder, is that a bragging thing or is it a secret desire to be caught because he hates what he is? Can he see himself being a monster? I think it will become clear be that okay. he wants the notoriety. Okay. Yeah. Um, and even as you're hearing him talk in those clips – He's happy. He's very happy to talk about this. He's very happy for everyone to know what he did. Mm. Um, his sixth victim was Shirley Ruth Vian Ralford. He killed her in March 1977. I'm going to play more audio here, but Raider has just described seeing a little boy go into a house, and that's how he chose this next victim. So totally random. Um, he just saw the boy go into the house and thought, that's where I'm headed. Mm. He called this murder Project Green mm. and he assigned each killing a project name in his head. So I don't know if that took away some of the feeling, giving it a project name, like it was a job. Mm, no, I think the opposite, that it's elevating it as something important that he's achieving. Yeah, okay, maybe. Um, and yes, we'll play that audio here. Uh, after I tried this once, the residence, nobody came to the door. I went to this house where he went in, knocked on the door, and told him I was a private detective. Uh, showed him a picture that I had just showed the boy and asked him if they could ID the picture. And at that time, I, I had the gun here, and I just kind of forced myself in. I just walked in, just opened the door, walked in, and then pulled what, a pistol. What gun? What pistol? Uh, 357 Magnum. So you only had one gun with the pistol? <laughs> yes, sir. Uh-huh. What happened then? Uh, I told uh, Mrs. Espayan uh, that uh, I had a problem with uh, sexual fantasies that I was going to tie her up and that uh, I might have to tie the kids up and that she would cooperate with us, cooperate with me at that time. Uh, we went back. Uh, she was extremely nervous. I think she even smoked a cigarette. And we went back to uh, one of the back, back areas of the porch, explained to her that I had done this before. And uh, you know, I think she was, at that point in time, I think she was sick because she had a night robe on. And I think I remember right, she was she had been sick. And I, I think she came out of the bedroom when I went in the house. So anyway, we went back to the, her bedroom and I proceeded to tie the kids up. And they started crying and got real upset. So I said, oh, this is not going to work. So we moved them to the bathroom. She helped me. And then I tied the door shut. We put some toys and... Uh, Blankets and odds and ends in there for the kids, make them as comfortable as we could. Tied the, uh, we uh, tied one of the bathroom doors shut so they couldn't open it, and we shoved. She went back and helped me shove the bed up against the other bathroom door, and then I proceeded to uh, tie her up. Uh, she got sick, 
threw up, um, got her a glass of water, comforted her a little bit, and then went ahead and tied her up, and then uh, put a bag, a bag over her head and strangled her. All right. Was this a plastic bag also? Mm, yes, sir. I think it was. But I could be wrong on that. He goes on to say that he also strangled her with a rope and the kids were really banging on the door at that point because there's obviously children in the home. He said he cleaned every... Yep. Is he killing all the people the same way? Uh, he's, he's... Strangling. Strangling. Her. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, he said he cleaned everything up, including his briefcase, which was like his go kit, his little murder go kit, um, with tape and cord and got out of the house. The next uh, victim was in December 1977. Her name was Nancy Jo Fox. Now, Dennis talks a bit before he goes into her murder, and he talks about trolling and stalking. So we know the word trolling to be online abuse, right? Mm. It's a troll. Yeah. Um, But he says um, that he – it's all about how he looks for his victims. So he would troll for victims around the neighborhood. So he would – drive around, walk around, and troll for victims. And once he'd found a victim, it would turn into the stalking phase where he would follow that person, um, learn their movements, see who they lived with, and all that kind of thing that you do when you're preparing for a murder. So with Nancy, he checked her mailbox, found out her name, he'd stalked her movements, and then he made his move. And we have audio here. Can you tell me what you did on the night of December 8, 1977? Now, about two or three blocks away, I parked my car and walked to that residence. I uh, knocked, knocked at the door first to make sure to see if anybody was in there because I knew she arrived home at a particular time from where she worked. Uh, nobody answered the door, so I went around to the back of the house, uh, cut the phone lines. I could tell that there wasn't anybody in the uh, north apartment. Uh, broke in and waited for her to come home in the kitchen. All right. Did she come home? Yes, she did. What happened? Uh, I confronted her, uh, told her there I was a, uh, had a problem, sexual problems, that I would have to tie her up and have sex with her. Uh, she was uh, a little upset. Uh, we talked for a while. Uh, she smoked a cigarette. Uh, while, the, while we smoked a cigarette, I went through her purse, uh, identifying some stuff. She finally said, uh, well, let's get this over with so I can go call the police. And I said, okay. And she said, can I go to the bathroom? And I said, yes. Uh, she went to the bathroom and uh, came. And I told her when she came out to make sure that she was undressed. And uh, when she came out, I uh, handcuffed her. And uh, I don't really remember whether Sir? You handcuffed her? You had a pair of handcuffs? Yes, sir. Uh-huh. What happened then? Well, anyway, I, had her, I handcuffed her, had her lay on the bed. And then I tied her feet, and uh, then I, I I was also undressed to a certain degree, and then I got on top of her, and then I reached over, took either either her feet were tied or not tied. But anyway, I took I think I had a belt. I took the belt and then strangled her with a belt at that time. After he killed Nancy, he masturbated over her dead body, um, tidied up the house, and left. Well, the two of those don't go together. Yeah, so one's he's, making a mess, and the other one's I, that true tidying. What right, did he tidy up. Oh, I don't. Really I don't want to know. I know. Hmm. So Raider grew irritated by the lack of media coverage around his crimes. In a letter to a local TV station, he wrote. How many people do I have to kill before I get a name in the paper or some national attention? Oh, okay. So he's he's doing it for the power. Yeah. Yes. Okay. And the notoriety. Yeah. So the resulting coverage. Wow just set off panic. 
after this, Raider doesn't kill for eight years. Have you explained the initials BTK yet? Yes. What was that? Bind, torture, kill. That's right, yes. Yes. So he waits eight years before his eighth murder in 1985. Her name was uh, Maureen Wallace-Head. She was 53, and he'd also been through the trolling and then stalking stage with her. Yes. Is there an explanation as to why he stopped for eight years? No. Okay. Um, We have audio here. Well, as before, I was going to have uh, sexual fantasy, so I brought my hit kit, uh, and uh, lo and behold, her car was there. I thought, gee, she's not supposed to be home. So I very carefully snuck into the house, kind of like a cat burglar, and after checking the house, she wasn't there. So about that time, the doors rattled, so I went went back to one of the bedrooms and hid back there in one of the bedrooms. Uh, She came in with a male visitor. They were there for maybe an hour or so. Uh, He left. I waited till wee hours in the morning and then proceeded to uh, sneak into her bedroom and uh, flip the lights on what looked like, or I think the bathroom lights. I just I didn't want to flip her lights on, and, and she screamed, and I jumped on the bed and strangled her manually. All right. Now, were you wearing any kind of disguise or mask at this time? No, no. You indicated this woman lived down the street from you. Did she know you? Uh, casually, we'd uh, walk by and wave. Uh, she, she liked to work in her yard as well as I like to work. It's just a neighborly type thing. It wasn't anything personal. I mean, just a neighbor. All right, so she was in her bed when you turned on the lights in the bathroom? Yeah, the bathroom, yeah, just to, so I could get some light in there. All right, what did you do then? Oh, I manually strangled her when she started to scream. So you but, used your hands? Yes, sir. And you strangled her? Did she die? Yes. All right, what did you do then? Uh, after that, uh, since I was in the uh, sexual fantasy, I uh, went ahead and... Uh, stripped her and uh, probably went ahead and uh, I'm not sure if I tied her up at that point in time but anyway uh, she was nude and I put her on a blanket uh, went through her purse some personal items in the house uh, figured out how I was going to get her out of there uh, eventually uh, moved her to the trunk of the car <sighs> took the car over to uh, Christ Lutheran Church uh, this is with the older church and uh, I took some pictures of her He said he took photos of her in different types of bondage. He then put her back in the car and looked for a place to hide her. He eventually found one, a ditch by the side of the road. He said he hid her there and covered her with leaves. But the bondage thing is taking it up a level. Yeah. So we hadn't seen that before. It was just the killing and then he had the masturbating and now we're at bondage stage. A 28-year-old mother of two was his ninth victim, um, Vicky Wigaley. Uh, he killed her in 1986. Here he is again. Yes. Uh, again, Vicky was regularly was another potential victim. I went through those different phases, uh, locked in on her, as I would call it, and uh, decided that I would try that date. I used a ruse as a uh, telephone repairman to get in their house. Uh, drove there in my own personal car. Uh, around lunchtime, during lunch hour, or approximately that time. It was earlier in the morning than that. And uh, put my, I actually went somewhere else and changed uh, changed my clothes, what I, what I call my uh, hit clothes. And, hit uh, clothes? Hit clothes. Uh, basically different, you know, things that I'd need to get rid of later. Not, not the same kind of clothes that I had on. I 
I don't know what other better word to use it, uh, crime clothes or hit clothes. I just call them hit clothes. Uh, anyway, I walked from my car as a telephone uh, repairman. As I walked there, I donned the telephone helmet. I had a briefcase. Went to one other address just to kind of size up the house. I'd walked by it a couple times, but I wanted to check it a little bit more. Uh, as I approached it, I could hear a piano sound. And uh, went to this other door, knocked on him, and told him I was that we were recently working on telephone repairs in the area. And, uh, and went to her, went to her, and knocked on the door and asked her if I could come check her telephone lines inside. Did she allow you in? Yes, she did. What happened then? I uh, went over and uh, found out where the telephone was, uh, simulated that I was checking the uh, telephone. I had a make-believe instrument, and uh, after she was looking away, I, I drew a pistol at her and asked her if she'd go back to the bedroom with me. Was this the same 357 Magnum you'd used? No, this, this was a different one. Different pistol. Are you asked her to go back to the bedroom with you after drawing a pistol on her? Yes, sir. What happened then? Uh, I told her, we went back to the bedroom, I told her I was going to have to tie her up. Uh, she was very upset, and I think we I used some material that was in, uh, and that, that's another thing, I'm not sure, but I, I think I used the material that they had in their bedroom, and after I tied her hands, uh, she broke that and we started fighting, and we fought quite a bit back and forth. All right, she was physically fighting you? Oh, yeah. Yes, sir. Mm -hmm. What happened then? I uh, finally got the hand on her and got a, uh, a nylon sock and started strangling her. Wrap the stocking around her neck. Yes. What happened then? Uh, I finally gained the uh, gained on her and, and, and put her down, and I thought she was dead, but apparently she wasn't. But uh, after after she was down and not moving anymore, I, I rearranged her clothes a little bit and took some quick photos. I think three of them, if I remember. And then uh, after that, I there was a lot of commotion. Uh, she had mentioned something about her husband coming home, uh, so I got out of there pretty quick. The dogs were raising a lot of cane in the back. Uh, the doors and the windows were all open to the house. A lot of noise when we were fighting. So I left pretty quickly after that. Put everything in the briefcase and had her, I'd already gone through her uh, purse and got the keys to the car and used her car for my getaway car. In 1991, he committed his last murder, strangling a 62-year-old woman in her secluded home. Um, that woman was Dolores Davies, and there's some quick audio here as well. You know, that particular day, I had some commitments. I left those, uh, went to one place, changed my clothes, went to another place, uh, parked my car, finally made arrangements on my hit kit, my clothes, and then walked to that residence. Uh, after spending some time at that residence, uh, it was very cold at night. Uh, had reservations about going in. They, I had cased the place before, and I really couldn't figure out how to get in. And she was in the house, so I finally just uh, selected a, a concrete block and threw it through the plate glass window on the east and came on in. All right, where is this residence located? It's on Hillside, but I couldn't give you address. I know it's probably 61, probably 62 something. Oh, 62 something. North or south? North. North hillside. All right, so you used a concrete block to break the window? Mm-hmm. Plate glass window. Patio door. Mm -hmm. What happened then? Uh, noise. I just went in. Uh, she came out of the bedroom and thought that a car had hit her house. And I told her that I was, uh, I used the, the roofs of uh, being wanted. Uh, I was on the run. I needed food, car, warmth, warm up. And, uh, and I asked her, I handcuffed her. Kind of talked to her, told her that I would like to get some food, get her keys, her car, 
and kind of rest assured, you know, walk, talk with her a little bit and calmed her down a little bit. And, uh, and then eventually I checked, uh, I think she was still handcuffed. I uh, went back and checked out where the car was, uh, simulated getting some food, odds and ends in the house that I like I was leaving. And then went back and uh, removed her handcuffs and, uh, and then tied her up. And then, and then eventually strangled her. Dennis said he took some personal items, so now he's like trying to take trophies. them. Yeah, yeah, trophies, exactly. Um, he said he took them from Dolores, and I think over the time from the reading that I'd done, he'd collected like a watch and a radio and just some just random things. Um, and I think perhaps there was underwear as well. Um, he put her in the trunk of her car, and he said he had a commitment he needed to go to, so he took her out of her car and left her in a spot, then dumped some of his kit and took her car back to her house. He then realized he'd lost his gun. So he went back into the house and found it, went back out, chucked the keys away, grabbed his car, picked up her body and then dumped her under a bridge. But I did find that he had a commitment to get to. So like, which is what I wonder. You know what I mean? So like, he's murdered her. Then he's like, "Shit, I'm running out of time for this murder." Yeah. So I need to go do this commitment, and then I can. I'll just quickly stash her body here. Go to the commitment. Come back and dump her properly. Yeah. It's just there's no panic about it. But it's also like, like you said, it's a project for him. Yeah. He's, he thinks he's achieving something. Yeah. Oh, I'll, I'll do that appointment, and then I'll come back to my agenda. And what's next on the agenda? Oh, a strangling and a masturbation. Right. Totally. Let's do that now. So after that, he disappeared again. Nothing happened at all for 13 years. That's weird. Isn't it? I often think with things like that, do they actually disappear or do they just not find cases they can link to them? I suspect that unless he was incarcerated for some reason. No, I don't think he was. No. Okay. So in 2004, on the 30th anniversary of his first murders, the family, a local paper ran a feature in which it speculated that the killer had either died or been imprisoned Mm -hmm. because nothing had happened. And, of course, he was furious. Um, he responded by sending various evidence from his ninth murder, notably a copy of the victim's driver's license, as well as photographs of her body. He sent that to a reporter. In 2002? In 2004. 2004, when electronic footprints are easier to trace. Yes. So for the next year, he sent packages to the media or simply left items around Wichita. He often used cereal boxes, possibly a reference of being a serial killer. Um, he put drawings in there, crime souvenirs, photographs, written descriptions of the murder, murders, and um, he even posed dolls to mimic the various murders. It's it's so I, – I want to smack him right in the face. I know. Right? He's like, dick. I did this and I want you to acknowledge me yeah. is what he's saying. In January 2005, police received a break after recovering a cereal box that included a note in which Raider asked the police whether they would be able to trace a floppy disk he wanted to send them. Mm. He asked them to respond through a classified ad, so they did, and in the ad they wrote, Rex, it will be okay. So with that, he sees the ad because he's told them to get the message back to me, put yeah. this ad in the classified, which yeah. is actually quite smart. Um he sends them this disc, which police quickly trace to a church. 
My hand got tangled. Why did they call him Rex? I don't know. He must have told them oh, to okay. call him Rex right. okay. so that he would know it was for him. Oh, I see. Right. Okay. He sends the disc. The police quickly trace it to a church where he served as president of the congregation. Ah. Raiders' DNA was then matched to the semen found at the first crime scene. Yes. And he was arrested in February 2005. Wow. As soon as as he was arrested, he confessed. Of course he did. He wants the credit. And he expressed some shock that police had lied to him. Again, sociopath. Yeah. The whole world's so upset that he'd been lied to. Uh, In June, he pled guilty. And two months later, he was sentenced to 10 consecutive life terms. On the day of his sentencing, he said he knew his actions were self-centred, adding, today is my final judgment day. He said, overall, most of what was presented by the state was true and that they should be proud of what a good team they have, saying there was no way I was going to get out of this. So he wants to be the one in control. And he's judging everyone else. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Yeah. He's, so he's he's running the whole thing. Yes, it's and his orchestra. Yes, totally. Wow. He said he was dishonest to people he encountered because they thought they were just going to be tied up and robbed, but then he killed them. Oh, you're so, so clever. You tricked them. Yes, that's what, that's where his dishonesty was, that he said that he was just going to rob them and he just wanted their car keys, um, but then he ended up killing them. He added that he knew his cases had used up taxpayers' money, and as far as the media, as for the media, he knew that he craved their attention. He spoke for 26 minutes at his sentencing. He spoke about the victims and wanting to share some things about them. Why did they let him do that? They shouldn't have let I him have do no that. I have no fucking idea. Well, they should idea, have just turned the mic off. Wouldn't that have been funny? It just doesn't happen here. We like, used to do that in the newsroom. Sorry, it's just a side note. Yeah. So, so um, sometimes this is going way, way back to when I started in radio. We'd have all these correspondents overseas because it mm. – when the internet wasn't everywhere, to get information from overseas, like stories and stuff, you had to have correspondents in the UK sure. ring in and file these reports. And sometimes they were really boring. And so we would just not press play and record <laughs> on the cassette. <laughs> and you'd just say, okay, rolling. rolling. And just turn the mic off and la, 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 you know, read a yeah. book for a bit and then put it back on again. They should have done that to him. They should have done that with him because 26 minutes he went on and on and on. And during this speech he tried to draw similarities between himself and his victims oh and let me just remind you he's picking these victims at random he's not picking them at the time because he saw something of himself in them but now he stood up in this court and basically said this victim went to that school so did i she loved animals i worked in animal control it went on and on and on with him just trying to find similarities it's so bizarre so he's either trying to justify it yeah or try and make himself look genius that he chose people (sighs) is he trying to be fascinating to psychiatrists or people who are going to examine him well well you can listen for yourself we've got audio of him talking about nancy fox marine hedge and joseph oterio here nancy fox she was a wonderful person and i did I did track her just like a predator. Uh, she was a wonderful young lady, well organized, hard worker, and that took her a We had, she was a neighbor. I want to walk by, wave to a gardener. I love to garden flowers. 
in a church, the same church I've been to with Boy Scouts. Joseph Otero was in the Air Force. I was in the Air Force. He was a husband. I was a husband. Although I always wanted to be a pilot, I always had a fascination with aerodynamics. And he was a pilot. One time I even thought about taking pilot lessons. On July 26, 2005, uh, after Raider's arrest, his wife was granted an emergency divorce, waiving the normal waiting period. You know, you have to be separated for a certain amount of time yeah. before you can get divorced. So they granted her an immediate divorce. Um, in an interview with ABC News in 2019, Raider's daughter Kerry said she still writes to her father and has now forgiven him, but still struggles to reconcile him with the BTK killer, stating her childhood seemed normal and that they were a normal American family. Well, she's a victim too, so Correct. I do want to be careful how I put this, but yes. it's not for her to forgive him. No. It's for the victims. That's exactly, that's a very to good forgive point. Him. I know she is one mm. in, in a way, but you can't declare someone is forgiven when the people who are dead because of him have no ability to forgive or not forgive. Correct. I don't know. Wow. Full on, right? Wow. Just so random and... and and he gave himself the name the BTK killer. Yes, or did the, okay. yes, that was his name for himself. Mm. Fucker. Yeah, fucker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, mm. epic story. You're welcome. Well done, Ms. Vella. All right, let's uh, do a feedback. We've got lots more feedbacks to come in future episodes as well. So if yours hasn't been on yet, please keep those messages coming through to us uh, on the Facebook page or please follow us on Insta. Oh, we always forget to ask. Other people ask. I've just spoken at Shana when she's just taken a well-deserved bite of sandwich after that epic story. Um, uh, that We never ask people to like our pod or to give us a rating on um, things. Do, we, well, everyone else does it. I hear other pods going, please rate and review us. Do we care? Well, I don't know, but we maybe, could you have a go at it? Could you rate and review? Just see if it, let's see if it makes <laughs> a difference. I love you're on the bandwagon. Yeah, well, I hear others doing. I think what well, must be important to do it. I don't know. We just do it for fun. Anyway, I don't mind. This one is from Jessie. She's and email the emails at the end of the episode. You'll hear that from lovely Tony. Jessie says, have you guys seen this yet? Could it be the best new place to dispose of a body? Nice things, nice things, kiss, kiss. And she's attached this article. So the article says, Oregon farmer eaten by his pigs. 2nd of October, 2012. Shush, lunch. Uh, Authorities are investigating how a farmer in the U.S. state of Oregon was devoured by his pigs. Terry Vance Garner, 69, went to feed his animals last Wednesday on his farm by the coast, but he never returned. I'm just going to stop for a second here because the chickens, of which we now have five, are very aggressive. Black Betty runs at me sometimes, and I do think that one day I'll be found all pecked to pieces on the driveway. Yes, Chanel. Did you see that guy that was eaten by a whale? Did he actually get eaten by it or just... Spat him back out. Spat him back out. Yeah, yeah okay. That's yeah. all I've got. Okay. Whales have got tiny throats though, I think. I don't know whether I believe it, but anyway, apparently he did. Um, his dentures and pieces of his body were found by a family member in the pig enclosure, but the rest of his remains had been consumed. The Coos County District Attorney's Office said that one of the animals had previously bitten Garner. There we are. See... I've got evidence of Black Betty coming at me, like pecking. She's going to peck me to death one day. I've seen birds. I've seen the Alfred Hitchcock movie. She could get you. I know how it happens. Uh, the animals are estimated by the authorities to each weigh about 700 pounds, which is 320 
kilos. She's thick. She's thick. Uh, investigators say it's possible that the hogs knocked Garner over before killing and eating him, but they have not ruled out the possibility that he collapsed from a heart attack. His remains have been sent to the University of Oregon to be analysed by a forensic anthropologist. Coos County District Attorney Paul Frazier told the local newspaper, For all we know, it was a horrific accident. But it's so doggone weird that we have to look at all possibilities. That was good. Is that right? I don't know what your accent in your It was because you said doggone. He said it. Yeah. yeah. Doggone. Uh, Mr. Frazier added that he had not intended to release details about the case, but changed his mind after word spread about the incident. God bless you, the people of Coos County who Mm. were not having that kept quiet. That was the uh, the talk of the town and became public in Oregon. There we are. Well, there you are. There's another episode of Dead Bodies Podcast. We'll be back with you in a couple of weeks. (laughs) 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 Dead Bodies is created by D.D. Dunleavy and Chanel Vella and produced by Kirsten Lim Howe. Contact us at deadbodiespodcast at gmail.com.